it was one of these inter-high schools, and we were clearly the, the better team. And, uh, you know, just as Nolan was sharing, just about almost that thing of running the race, but there, there's an insecurity. There's a, like, like Lauren mentioned with that, that girl, there was an inability, like, oh, this is overwhelming. I've got to run, and there's people cheering, and there's it's that overwhelming sensation that you've got, that you almost like in the limelight now. It's just your moment. And there's a fear that, that some people have. But I, I just reminded myself when, when, when I had to run that relay, it wasn't a fear. It was actually more of a pride. You know, and, and, and I was just so confident of winning. And uh, I knew we had the best team and everything. And I remember taking the baton and, and, and just running and uh, just uh, basically passing the baton to the next guy. And I remember I was clearly way in front. The other guys were at least oh, about 100 meters uh, from me, you know. And that was from the second, uh, what can I say, straight that you're running around uh, the track. And I remember clearly looking back and thinking, these guys will never catch us, you know. It's so, and there was a sense of, oh, you know, we got this. And I remember handing the baton to the guy in front of me, but as I hand, he didn't actually grab it very well, and I missed, because he, he kind of ran a bit, you know, because you meant to train yourself to look, and then take the baton from there, and he never looked properly, and I, as I handed it, he missed, and he ran, and I, I remember going down, and, and falling on this, it was one of those gravel tracks, and I had the gravel in my knees, in my, in my skin, you know, on my, on my hands, and I remember dropping that baton down, and, and him running and realizing, oh, no, you know, you know, the baton's over there. So I said, listen, pal, I'm not going to take that. You come and fetch it. You're the one who missed it. And I, I was pretty confident because I knew we were, we were way ahead of the other guys. So even him running back and fetching it wouldn't be an issue. And so I, I just remember looking at myself and I think, you know, this is so sore. I'm not, I'm not going to go and do this now. You come and fetch it. So he comes, runs back, takes the baton, runs. And we win way ahead of the other teams. And then later on, we find out your team was disqualified. And I said, but why? You know, we were way ahead. And I remember them saying to me, but you never handed the baton. You never passed it on. And you know, I want to say, you might be here with all your confidence too, running this race. You might think that you've got everything. And you can be ahead of everybody else in this room. But you know, a true sign of someone who's a disciple of Jesus is that you hand that baton to the next person and you make sure he runs the race to win. And I feel that's really going to be a sign for us of whether we are doing what God has called us to do, is how many batons are we handing on to the next generation of people that they can run the race to win. We're not running just for ourselves. Anyway. <laughs> Where you felt the presence of the Lord this morning, you know? And there was a prophetic word that um, I just want to share that Nikki brought two weeks ago. And I want to build on that because, you know, when God gives a prophetic word, um, especially if it's prophetic, I don't want to treat it with content. You know, the Bible says you don't. You don't treat it with content. You, you actually take the seriousness of it and you, you weigh it up. And uh, so I don't want this just to be a word that we hear and we, we just kind of move on and think, well, that was a nice word. But I want to build on it this morning. And so I just want to allow the freedom of the Spirit to do that, because if we just hear it and we just say, well, that was a nice message, we're going to go on, we, we come like um, in James, when it says in James 1.22 that we, we just hearers of the word, but not doers, and then it says that you deceive yourself when you do that, so I want to take all seriousness 
on that. And so uh, Nikki shared a bit about, are we leading our hearts? And because uh, either our hearts are leading us or we're going to lead our hearts. So put your heart behind you. Remember that word. If you guys were here. And uh, so what does that actually mean? I, I, don't want, I don't want that to become an abstract idea. You know, one of these pie in the sky kind of um, moments that we just think about. And uh, we don't actually ground that prophetic word in truth. We don't actually make it a reality that we can say, okay, well, what does that actually mean? How do I apply my life to that prophetic word? And, uh, and so we need to do that. Uh, and so we need to make a, a, a I wanted to, just by the Holy Spirit this morning, I wanted to ground that truth. I wanted to make it a practical application for us. Get into the nitty gritty of what it means that God shows me how to lead my heart. And uh, it's one thing to say, and I'm going I'm to I'm gonna ground it by asking a question is, do you lead your heart or does your heart lead you? And how can I know that? How do I know who's leading who? You know how you know? I'll tell you how you know. Your heart leads you by the decisions that you make. Decisions. Your heart can lead you by the decisions that your heart makes for you. Yeah, that's, that's how I know. That's one of the ways. And I want to talk about decisions because I feel it's very important. And I'm, when I talk about decisions, I'm not talking about what toothpaste you use this morning. I'm not talking about what shirt you chose to come to church or dress, the lady. I'm not talking about even whether you chose or didn't choose to come to church, although that is an important question. Um, but I want to talk about serious decisions that we make. Decisions that, um, that we make, but it's decisions that are it's intense because it's attached to our emotions. And it's intense and it's attached to our emotions because it's attached to our hearts. I want to talk about those decisions. Those decisions that are really there that um, carry long-term consequences for us. Those big decisions like who are we going to marry? Like what house are we going to buy? Or are we going to buy a house? Or what town are we going to reside in? Or what church am I going to belong to? Or give me some other important decisions. Huh? What job? What, what business am I going to start? How am I going to do that? Those are all very important decisions that we make. And those are going to be emotional decisions because they are attached to the heart. You can't separate them. And, uh, and I wanna, this is what I want to do this morning because I, I've, been, I've been meditating on this thing of decisions. I want to debunk the notion because some, sometimes you come to us as an eldership and you think this has got to do merely about me making the right choice or the wrong choice, which it's partly about, okay? But I want to debunk if that's all you think it's about because it's important that you know this. Decisions, it's not just something that influences my lifestyle, although it does influence your lifestyle. Every decision has a consequence, am I right? But it carries far more than just making the right decision, the wrong decision, and it's going to affect my lifestyle whether I'm enjoying life or when I'm not enjoying life. You know, sometimes we reduce that decision to that. But I want to say something about a decision. A decision to me, and I want to word it properly. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm saying it right. Decision to me, with every decision you make, you are becoming a kind of person. You are busy forging and, for, and, and molding and shaping a character. Do you know that with your decisions? 
This is not just about your external lifestyles. With every decision, you are forming your person. Scripture talks about with every decision, you know, it's producing a faith. We are either producing a faith or we, we, we're carrying from a faith. We, we're moving away from it. And so we need to understand that faith is, is one of the vital aspects to every decision we make. I mean, the Bible says, the just shall live. How? By faith. No, it's, I don't live any other way. I don't live because of anything. I live because the just shall live by faith. In fact, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So would you agree with me? If I can't make a decision in faith, I can't make a decision that's going to please the Lord. Can't. No matter how good it is for me, no matter how pleasant it is going to be for me, how beneficial in the external it's going to be for me. If it's not made in faith, it's going to be made because of opportunities, maybe. And so we're not here to satisfy and gratify our lives. That's not what our ultimate goal is. It's actually about stretching our faith. Would you agree with me? But come on, think of it. How many of you actually say to yourself, when you make a decision in your life, do you say, wow, I'm going to take this road. I'm going to go down this hard road because I know, man, it's difficult. And man, because it's difficult, God is going to produce a faith within me. How many, come on, who, be honest with yourself. Who actually says that when they make decisions? Man, I want to take that hard road. Man, because imagine when I come out at the end of that. Man, what is God going to do in me? What character is he going to build in me? Come on. Be honest. Who does that when you make a decision? But when you come to an eldership and you ask me, that's what I'm going to look at. And so don't frown on me because I say to you, but I'm looking at it from another perspective. You know what I'm saying? So do it because I'm interested in you. I'm more interested in you sometimes than you are. Because you're sometimes more interested in the flesh or what benefits you on the outside. Do you, do you get it? So eldership, we can look bad sometimes. Really, I'm actually a nice guy. <laughs> really, I am. I, if I could give you all the blessings of Benny, I would. I mean, I just want to bless people. I just want to give them the yeses, you know. I'm that kind of person. Really, I am. Everything in me is that kind of person. But you know what? Paul says to Timothy, I charge you. And he's talking to the church. And he's saying to Timothy, as an elder, I'm charging you. I'm laying a subpoena to you, Timothy. And when I come back, I'm charging you. And I'm going to hold you account to the sheep. I'm going to hold you account. Rebuke, exhort, encourage. And he gives them a list of things that he's got to do in the life of the church. It's pretty intimidating for an elder because he's coming back and he's going to come back to that subpoena and say, how did you do with that? So I just want you to look at it from an eldership perspective. It's, it's very important. We love you guys, but we're not always going to give you the nice answers. And so we've got to make decisions, but we can either make it in faith, but if we don't make those decisions in faith, those decisions are going to be based on opportunities. Okay, I want you to think about that. I was, I was meditating a bit about opportunities. Think of that word opportunities. Let me give you a definition of what the dictionary says about opportunities. It's a time or set of circumstances that makes something possible to do something. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a set of circumstances and timing that enables us to do something. Think of it. Now, does that sound like faith? <laughs> now, how many, how many decisions do we make in life that is based on opportunities versus based on faith? Think of it. I, I'm being honest. I, if I think of myself, flip, 
I, I had to internalize yeah, and think, yo, how many decisions do I make out of opportunities? Because, oh, I just knew it was God. It just opened, the doors just kind of opened wide for me, you know. Oh, there it was. I knew it was God. Oh. Sometimes we look at it like that. You see, we need to move past circumstances. Because when we go to opportunities, like I said, it's restricted to a circumstance. It's restricted to time. But you know what? God is above all of that. God is beyond time. God is outside of time. He's outside of the realm of the circumstances. And so when we say we've got faith in God, we're actually saying, God, I trust in you because you're not restricted to those things. Do you get it? That's what faith says. That's what faith does. And God, God is calling us to make decisions that is based on faith. Now, how does that look? How does decisions that are based on faith look? I'm going to say what I feel because I've, I've seen this in ministry been in ministry for a while, but this is how God does it. So God gives us something. He gives us a promise, a seed. He gives us a vision, and you, and you actually take it, and you actually think, wow, this is lovely, because it's what God gives. It's good. It's pleasant. It's, it's attractive, and you know, this is what God has for me. It's unique, and we, and we grab it, and you know what the next thing God does? This dream that you, you find in the Lord, and you know this is the Lord. You know what he does with that dream? He sentences it to death. He does that. Why? Why does he do that? Why does he, I mean, he gave it to me. I mean, why is he sentencing this thing to death? This is how he does it. And I've seen it, and I've watched it in ministry. Listen to what I'm going to say now. I'm going to back it up. <laughs> because I think it's impossible, you know, as we realize how God works that thing out. You see, God sentences it death to the point, and this is how he does it. He makes it, you look at this dream, and you see it, and you think, wow, it's amazing, but this thing is impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. I, this dream that you've got for me, God, there's no human way that it's going to materialize. It's, it's just impossible. It can't happen. And so you begin to trust either in human reasoning or human intellect, or you have to make a decision that I'm going to trust in the Lord, because this is not possible. That's how God kills a dream. You see, and we've got to either respond in these two ways. So when you get the impossible dream, when you get that, that thing that God gives you to walk in, we're going to either make a decision, because it's supernatural, because you know in yourself you can't reach it, you're either going to make a decision out of faith, yes, God, I believe you, and it's supernatural, and only you can do it, or you're going to try and find alternatives to making that dream materialize. Hear what I'm saying? Because this is what I've watched through and through, and I've been tested on this. It's no different. I've seen this in so many ways, in so many forms, in so many decisions that people make. I've seen people that have had prophetic words that God's going to bless them financially. That's a beautiful dream. <laughs> That's one dream I haven't had yet. But, but, and then they pursue that thing, and then all of a sudden, they, they, they know that part of this dream is, you know, God's going to bless them financially, and they call here to George. And all of a sudden, they get a job offer to Joburg. And it's like, wow, 
this dream is materializing. But no, 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 but your dream was here in George. But, but it's there. And so we begin to compromise because, you know, George, is, it's not a place where people really make money. I mean, come on, think of it. I was talking to a guy now who came back from Joburg. He said, no, I had to make the sacrifice. I know I did when I left where I came from. Joburg. There was a sacrifice. You actually had to give up money. Your salary that was there is now this small. It's a sacrifice. But you see, some of us think like that. We think, well, circumstances only allowed, so I've got to go there. Circumstantial again. Some of us might be in a place where we've got to make a decision, and, and, and God's promised you a, a spouse. Husband, wife. God's promised that to you. I mean, come on. How many singles are here? And I'm not talking to you. Yeah. I'm not talking to my son. <laughs> That's later. But, but some of you, God, God will promise a spouse. He'll promise a husband or a wife. And you know, it's like, wow. And you know what he does? He sentences it to death. And you know he does it. All of a sudden, there's a loneliness that comes upon you. All of a sudden, there's an isolation flip. I don't even have friends anymore. All my friends are gone and they weigh. I'm just feeling so alone. I've seen that happen lots of times. And then all of a sudden, God sends this man in a white horse. And he's dressed like a prince. And, and she's like, oh, wow. You know, this is God's blessing. I've seen that. I've seen that. And you know what? She begins to take the opportunity but you know what? This guy is not a Christian. He's not committed to God. He doesn't love the Lord with God with all his heart. He's, he's not committed in the church. And so here's my, my opportunity. But you're prepared to compromise that and, and sacrifice the dream that God has for you for that moment of opportunity. Because this is my reason. This is my window of opportunity. Here's the man on the white horse. We do that, church. I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about every aspect of our lives. We do that. We look for that aspect. It's kind of like Hebrews 12, 16, where, where it talks about how at Esau, who had a birthright, God promised, you know, there was, a, there was a blessing that could come upon him. And he sells his birthright for a morsel of food, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 16. Can I say, when God gives you a promise, he sentences it to death. And he has a scripture. I want to read John 12, 24. It says this, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. There's a principle that God works on when he gives us a dream. See, in the principle of this, God has to destroy every human effort that would want to try and make this dream materialize. Do you know, let's first say it, that is impossible. The dream that God gives us is impossible. In fact, God wants you to understand it's impossible. So God gives us something, it's a dream, it's a, it's a thing that he says, this is yours, but you know what, I'm giving you something that's supernatural, but the means in which that's going to materialize is also going to be supernatural. Do you, do you get it? Because we've got to walk by faith. It's not just faith as, oh, pie in the sky, believe God, that's the end. No, I've got to walk in faith now for that dream to become materialized. And that's why in Philippians 2.13, let's go quickly go there, uh, Tundi. It says, for it is God, listen to this, who works in you both to will and to do. So God doesn't just put the will in you. He says, yeah, he has the will. Now I know that that will is impossible, but it's me that's going to do, not you. 
Do you get it? And so trusting in, the, in God for His promise, but you're also believing in the means and how He's going to do it. You're going to trust Him and His timing. Oh, sorry, I'm pretty hot, but I'm, I'm really just, you know. Abraham was a good example for us of this. What did God promise Abraham? He's, he's the father of faith the Bible talks about. What did God promise Abraham? He says, you're going to be a father of nations. That's quite a promise. And you know what Abraham does? He looks at his own body. He thinks, flip, I'm 99 years old. He looks at his wife's body, and she's 90 years old, and he looks at God and he laughs. <laughs> Why? Oh, let's think about that. <laughs> 90 years, wife, 99 as a man, he has the dream. You've got inheritance. I'm going to produce a child for you. Wow. Huh? What does Abraham do? So it's an, it's an enormous dream. Now, Abraham, the father of the faith, what does he do? He, he sees, he believes the promise, so let's give him that. He, he believes God for the promise, but he doesn't believe God in the means of how that promise is going to materialize. He doesn't see. So what does he do? He gets his maidservant, Hagar, and he thinks, well, God's going to produce a seed through her. And what happens? Ishmael's born. Ishmael was not the promise. Ishmael was not the legitimate son to which God was going to be a blessing to the nations. And so, I want to say, when we make alternatives in our lives, we will produce Ishmael's. We will, all of us. If we do alternate responses in the decisions we make, we will produce Ishmael's, and they're not legitimate. They're illegitimate children, illegitimate fruit that comes from us. And let me tell you, that fruit will not just be, oh, it's forgotten. That fruit will become a hindrance and it'll be stuck with you for the rest of your life. There'll be consequences to those decisions, those opportunities. Think of it. Think of Israel. They're still sitting with the problem. You know, you think of Palestine. That's Ishmael. That's, that's a lot of the, the sons that were produced from that. The conflict that's in Israel is still there because of that opportunity that Abraham took. So I want to say, when you look at opportunities, do you look, do you look at, when you make a decision, do you look at it through opportunities eyes, or do you look at it through faith? And I love the scripture in Romans 4.19. I want to quickly go there. It says, and not being weak in the faith, talking about Abraham, he did not consider his own body, already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the descendants of Sarah's womb, did I just give you 19, Tandy? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, it is dead. No, no, that's no, fine. I love the way it says it. It says, Abraham did not weaken in the faith, but he considered his own body. You know that word considered? It's like he looked at the reality of it. You know, some people think of faith as just, I'm kissing my brains goodbye. It's like faith is, is this something that, um, you know, it doesn't have reason involved. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't see it in the Bible that faith is the absence of reason. I don't see it in Scripture. Abraham is looking and he says, he's considering, he considers the facts that his body is as good as dead. But faith is looking through reason. Faith is not just seeing reason. Faith is believing past reason. Do you, do you get it? Sometimes people think, oh, I've just got to believe God and I must just ignore all the negative realities that are there. That's not faith. In fact, 
you, don't, you won't have faith if you didn't realize there were negative realities. You know what I'm saying? You, you wouldn't realize, oh, this is impossible if you just said, oh, I'm just going to say it's, it's going to work, it's going to work, it's going to work. You know, and put the blinkers on your eyes to everything else. That's not faith. Faith is, yes, I do see the unnatural. I do see the supernatural needing to, to come through. I do see the hand of God has to intervene in this. And I believe in him. But we don't depend on, on the circumstances. We look through them. And I, just as I even saw the picture of just how, G, how even Jesus came to the place where, you know, he had to face the cross. And, you know, he could have even taken an opportunity. Think of it. When Jesus was baptized, he was led into the wilderness. What did Satan offer him? Opportunities. If you bow down and worship me, this is all yours. But Jesus knew. He had faith the Father of what, what God had called him to. He believed that. And he went to the cross for that. And he was going to take, you know, when Satan offers you something, no, it's temporary. It's going to be a season. You're going to have your fun. You're going to have your pleasure. But it's a season. And there will be consequences to that. So are we a church? Are we a people that, that walk and we make decisions by faith? So how do I do that? I, I want to land with this. And I, it'll just help us see this. How do we make a decision that's not influenced by the deceitfulness of my heart? It's quite a tricky question. It's quite a... But it's good as we actually look at it. I want to quickly go to Romans 12, verses 2. Because this helps me. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, let me say, when God gives you a dream, there's a perfect will of God for your life. Do you believe that? It's perfect. There's no alternatives. It's, this is the way. There's no substitute. This is not a plan B. This is the perfect way of God. And we can walk in it. Otherwise, God wouldn't tell us this. There's a perfect will that he's calling us to walk in. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I love the way it says we have to renew our minds. See, when we, we make decisions, let me tell you, there's a lot of factors that influence your decision. It influences what? This, the heart. And so Paul is saying in Romans, you've got to renew your mind because your heart's got to pull, and it's pulling towards every inclination that's of the flesh. And let me tell you, the heart is not weak. It's a powerful thing. And it can pull you no matter how good you are theologically. It doesn't matter how much this thing knows a lot. But let me tell you, the heart will move that thing. And so Paul says, renew your mind. And you know, I was looking at that word. It says, Renew it because he says that you may prove, okay, that you might discern, that you might know. In that Greek, that, that, that word prove is actually a Greek which means tokimodzo, uh, dokimodzo, sorry, which means it's, it's an approval. It's, it's something you've evaluated. It's something you've assessed and you've realized that this is what I want to be. It's like my affections are on this. I believe this and I've proven it. I know in my heart that this is God. And it pulls you towards the things of the Spirit. So the same way the heart has got an inclination to pull you to the things of the flesh, this thing of proving, is, 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 as you get to that place where you renew your mind, it's like this thing of the Spirit pulls you to the things of God. And so we begin to work out of faith and not out of responses to, to something. Um, and so the one is in a virtue of a preference, where the other one's a conviction. 
My heart just prefers because it's more pleasurable. But, but this carries something of a conviction that I know this is where God's leading me. I know this is where he's pulling me because my heart, my affections, my everything as we, we had this morning is my, my vision is on Jesus. The fin- he's at the finish line and he's cheering me on. And I, as I begin to behold him, all that pull, that, that thing of my spirit is pulling me to the finish line. And that, that, that goal that he set for me, it says that he's, he's set a, a, a track for me. And I'm just running towards him because he's my affection. And, and so my spirit is pulled towards there. Yes, my heart's pulled this way, but my spirit is pulled that way. And when I make a decision, I can make a decision and I can make it right. Because I've got a conviction that this is where God's called me. In fact, Ephesians 4, Paul says the same thing. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. You see that? The heart is growing according to the deceitful lust. And then verse 23 of that, sorry, I didn't give that to you, Tandy, but verse 23, it says, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind. So he's saying, look, you've got a deceitful lust that's pulling this way, but he says, but you know what? You can renew your mind because there's a renewal that comes with the spirit of the mind. What is the spirit of the mind? Well, that's the affections. That's the pulling towards the things of the spirit that Paul's talking about. And I want to say, we, we, can, we can make decisions very quickly out of the flesh, and it is that. But as our minds set on the things of God, it becomes easier. And then we take the Word of God and we apply it in our lives. It becomes an an application. I want to quickly read Hebrews 4.12. I know I'm throwing a few scriptures, but I'm nearly there. It's for the Word of God is living. It's powerful, okay? I just want to stop there. This is not, I'm just reading a word. It's my day's devotion. The Word of God is living means it's, it's alive, it's in you, it's, it's there, and God wants to, you to see it in the moment. It's, it's, it's something active, okay? It's sharper than any two-edged word, uh, sword, piercing even the division and soul of the spirit and joints and marrows, and as a discerner and the thoughts and the intent of the heart. I love that scripture because, you know, the heart is deceitful, hey? We all know that. But it also, it's very blurry at sometimes. Because it's so deceitful, it blurs the lines that I can't separate this is spirit and this is flesh. I battle sometimes. I battle to make the right decision sometimes because of the blurriness. I don't know, you, are you guys ever faced with that? Or am I the only one? Come on. But I love the scripture. It says, but, but the word is so sharp. It is so sharp that it can pierce the division of soul and spirit. In other words, the things that are the flesh and the things of the spirit, it cuts even there. And you know how it does it? It said it judges the thoughts, okay? Let me tell you, before you make a decision, you've thought about it. It judges before the the thing actually materializes as as an action. It judges the thoughts, and then it says the intent, the intentions. You think of an intention. It's something that makes you do something for a reason, right? The intention behind me doing something is this. And then the word is so sharp, it cuts even before it becomes an int- as it becomes an intention. God separates it. What are your intentions? Why do you want to do it? But you know, sometimes people come to me and they ask me for an answer. But God has already given them an answer. But the inclination of the heart saying, I want this. And it's not that I'm, they're wanting my approval. It's, it's almost like I've made it, but I just want to look like I'm accountable here. <laughs> we do that. And I can't judge, you know, if your heart's telling you, it doesn't matter what I say and what scripture I can give you, you're going to choose to go that way. 
But the scripture is very clear. God, if you use this thing because you have a renewed mind and you want to do what God's called you to, you're going to tell, let me tell you, this word is so sharp. It will divide that which is spirit and which is of flesh. It will. I believe that scripture with all my heart because when I've applied it, man, God makes it very clear for me. He does. And yes, the heart's pulling this way, but I realize, God, this is not of you, and it's not going to produce life at the end of the day. Yes, it's comfortable. Yes, it's more pleasurable, but God, it's not you. And so I begin to judge the thoughts and the intent of why. And you know, when God gets you to the place that your affections are in Him, your decisions become so much more clearer. It becomes so much more easier because God knows, hey, you're on the side of me. You're on my side. And the decisions you make will be the right decisions. And I love that picture where Jesus is facing Pilate and he says, I'm the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? And Jesus says this, anyone who's on the side of truth will hear my voice. But you know what? Something of the heart, first it's the decision you make. You incline yourself to God. And then because you on God's side, every decision you make will be made because you're hearing his voice. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying to Pilate. Because you're on the side of truth, because you're on my side, you're going to hear my voice. It's going to be very clear for you. But the thing is with the heart, what makes it clear is that the heart is separated. You know what's of flesh and what's of the spirit. Don't deceive yourself. And I, I love that scripture where it says in Psalm 37, 4. Now think of it. Now your heart's on God's side. It says, delight yourself also in the Lord. And he shall give you the desires of your heart. You see, the affections of your heart begin to change because you, your affections are on the Lord. And so God says, look, when you're in that place, man, just ask me. I'll give you everything. Think of it. He's, that's the same scripture in, in Matthew 6. Give us that one, Tandy. Matthew 6. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You know what he's saying? You seek me first and my kingdom, man. Your heart's on the right side, so everything you ask is going to be of the kingdom. Your pursuit, your dreams, everything is going to be of the kingdom. And I'm just going to give you what you want. Think of it. That's what God is saying. You know, sometimes people would read that scripture. It says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, so I'm going to pursue God's things. And then all my things will be added unto me. That's not what that scripture is saying. When your heart's on the things of the kingdom, God's going to bless you out of your socks because everything you want is of him. Do you, do you get it? And you begin to fulfill the dream that God has within you. I want to fulfill the dream. I, don't, I, I know the dreams that God has prepared before the foundations of the world. That's, that's what the scripture says. Before I was formed, he knew me. And God had a plan for me. He had a perfect plan. He had a, a plan that, that only he could give me. Not man. You guys can't give me that plan. Only God could. And I can't give you that plan. But I want to, the reason I'm, I'm saying this this morning, I want to encourage you guys this morning because I really feel, you know, when God gives a prophetic word, you're going to be challenged on that. That prophetic word wasn't for me, wasn't for the elders, it was for us as a church. Don't be surprised this week or the week after or the next week that you're going to be faced with making decisions based on opportunities versus decisions based on faith. And so I want to encourage you guys as a church, really come before the Lord. Begin to find your affections in Him. Begin to seek Him with all your heart. Love the Lord. It's a simple scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your labor as yourself. That's, that's, that's the fulfillment of the law. 
And so God's calling us to that church that when we face the decisions, we can clearly see what God has called us to. If we're going to be a light on the hill, if we're going to be the church that represents God, we've got to be a people that have made the decisions to serve Him. Like Joshua, me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And this is what it looks like in the decisions that I make. Amen.